Field of the Ask Pastor Jeff podcast, the uh, podcast which implies I have answers that I really don't, because the whole idea is to ask questions that don't have answers, to wrestle with the difficult things of faith, because it's by asking the right questions that we grow deeper. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm Jeff Slater, pastor of Trinity United Methodist, and I am here with Jody Renee Giron who I was dubbed your ministry minion the other day, so that's... Well, hey, I was I had my embroidered stole on this morning with my face mask, and somebody called me an orthodox ninja. It works. Uh, that is, that's a new screen name on the internet right there. I just think we're all coming, we all speak in hashtags and handles now. Yeah, so. if you're ever in an online game and you see orthodox ninja, it's probably me. Or ministry minion, it's probably <laughs> me. Well, we all know the minions actually run things. Right. They're the smart ones. <laughs> Uh, so, today's question is uh, one uh, that one of you sent in, and it's quite the good question. I'm going to admit that I read it wrong the first time I heard it, uh, uh, and it was sent to me, so I'll say it. It was, why do Catholics pray for the dead? And when I first heard it, I thought it was pray to the dead, you know, the practice of praying to saints, but the, the question was actually pray for the dead. And we might get to both of those as we go along. A couple things to say as we start, though. One of them is that uh, Catholics, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rib my Catholic friends a little bit here, because, uh, you know, they can take it, most of them anyway. Most of them. <laughs> you know, there's, uh, there's actually a uh, rather wide range of Catholic thinking, and every Catholic I've known has said, oh no, there is one true Catholic teaching, and then they'll go on about the parts that they, that they, that they differ with all the other Catholics. So, <laughs> uh, I know the Catholics in Lincoln uh, have a, a reputation for being on the conservative edge, uh, I've spent a good deal of time with uh, Catholics in Great Bend, Kansas. There's a retreat center there at a mother house run by some wonderful sisters and lay people there too. There's, there's just a spectrum and that's a good thing. So uh, if you have a Catholic friend, start the conversation, talk to them a little bit, see, uh, see, see where they fall and what they understand. Mm -hmm. uh, but my spiritual director uh, is one I met at that retreat center and his name is Phil St. Romain. Uh, he's also a, a teacher and an author. He's written a number of books and we'll link to his stuff in the, uh, uh, in the yep. show notes. But I asked him if he would weigh in and answer this question from a Catholic perspective, because I, I can't speak to Catholic. I mean, I think I know the answer, but right. who better than a real Catholic? Absolutely. I do want to say one thing, though, to uh, help you understand what he says. There is an idea of a threefold spiritual path that goes back uh, centuries, many centuries in the church. I don't even, I'll bet we don't even know where it began. Yeah. But the uh, three steps, uh, the, the three phases of it are purgation, and purgation is a fun, fun word. So feel free to impress your friends <laughs> with that. The idea of purgation is that we have baggage that we need to get rid of to make room for God, to make room for the holy. Uh, and you could say the word sin. I never think that word is especially helpful. It has a lot of baggage and it means too many things. Uh, one example is the idea of attachment. We can become so attached to worldly things. It's not a question of if they're good or bad. It's a question of how we hold them. Uh, and if we hold them above God, then all of a sudden that becomes an attachment. It's an yep. unhealthy relationship with that thing. Yep. I'll bet a lot of you are thinking about money right now. Some people put their, their hope in money uh, as the thing that will save them if things become difficult, mm -hmm. uh, even if they don't put it in those words. Right. And if you hold that above God, then that's a problem and something you need to get rid of before you can have a broader view of God. Yes. 
So there's an example of purgation, getting rid of our baggage. The second one then, illumination. Illumination, which is exactly what it sounds like. The notion that once we start to clear out the cobwebs and sort of the spiritual flotsam and jetsam of, you know, you you made a good analogy. I tend to, like, one of my, one of my cute emotional matching baggage pieces I keep having to work on leaving behind is shame. God gets very quiet. I my shame is much louder than the voice of God. But as I leave those things behind, then we come into a space where we're more, you know, the, the other word is mystery, kind of tuned in to the way that God is at work in us, in the world, in the people we know and love, in the systems, and we're just, our, our sight is broadened to see God much bigger than we'd seen before. Yeah, and natural to the conversations you and I have. That's a that's a very uh, very big view of it. But can, it can also just be learning. Yes. Um, it can be reading the Bible. It can be reading a a, a spiritual book and getting mm-hmm. to know God on that level. Well, and they can be small experiences. I think of even just little encounters with a person or a piece of art or. Um, but it's it's having a, a kind of awakening to something bigger in that moment, whether when you're learning something or encountering something. Or... Right. Oh, how many conversations have I had in church, uh, you know, in the hallways and whatnot that yeah. give me a glimpse of something bigger? Yeah. Uh, okay, so purgation, we got to make room, get rid of our baggage, illumination. We, we, we grow and we learn and we see God in the light. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is unification. And that is what is supposed to be the goal of the spiritual life. Sometimes we get confused about the goal, but that's supposed to be. And it's union with God. It's being one with the holy. It's being totally filled with God and with, uh, with all that is good and holy. Mm-hmm. And it's worth saying that these three steps don't always happen in order. I know it's like the stages of grief. They're there and they help us to understand this, this messy process. Mm-hmm but they don't happen in order. So, so you know, maybe you learn a little bit and then you realize you got to get rid of some baggage because of what you learned and because of what you saw and grew. Yes. Or uh, when you get illuminated, you find some stuff you forgot to get rid of before. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then there's such a thing uh, that, that people who are really into spirituality uh, call them a uni- um, um, unitive experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those moments where you catch a glimpse of what union of with God is like. Uh, the, the most common is... A moment in nature you know maybe you come around the corner and you see a great view mm-hmm. uh, and you have a moment you mean you have a moment mm-hmm. and the, uh, the 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 great view might have triggered the moment but the moment isn't about the view anymore right. all of a sudden it's about something good and something holy and the world falls away and then the moment passes uh, so we have an experience of unity, but the goal of the spiritual life is to is to live there and to be there always. Mm-hmm. Okay, so understanding this threefold path, I think, will help you understand Phil's answer to the question. Let's take a listen. Well, hi there. Pastor Jeff has asked me, one of his friends, Phil St. Romain, a Catholic author and teacher, to take up the question that was asked by Mary Jo, why is it that Catholics pray for the dead, and Protestants do not. Uh, There is the notion in Catholicism and throughout all of Christianity that those who die are still part of uh, God's church in some way. There's an old understanding of the church as both militant and triumphant. That's military language, but what it means, church triumphant, 
is those who have died in Christ and are with Christ. And so we might say that's heaven. And church militant would be those of us who are still on earth, living our earthly lives and are in the midst of the struggle in the trenches, as it were. Now, those who've died in Christ are, are obviously belonging to Christ, but there is the understanding in Catholicism and, and in other parts of Christianity as well, most notably the Orthodox, that even though we die in Christ, we might still not be perfectly purified to be able to enjoy fully the glories of heaven. And that's where the idea of purgatory comes in. Purgatory, which is a doctrine in the Catholic Church, teaches that uh, there may be a time, a period, however we understand time in the afterlife, where ongoing purification needs to happen, where things we haven't repented for, let go of, woundings that haven't healed, uh, need to be addressed. And the understanding is also that that when we die, we can no longer do much to help ourselves in this regard. That we are, um, you might say, our, our status before God is fixed. We are either open to God or we're close to God. And so if we're open to God, we're going to end up in heaven. But if we're open to God and we still need some healing to happen, um, the so-called purgative phase of the spiritual life, which can happen on earth, then that healing needs to happen in the afterlife. Now that can happen, who knows, in an instant or it might be over a period of spiritual time, whatever spiritual time is. But the prayer for the dead is to assist them, since they can't do anything to help themselves, to assist them in that purification process. And it is recognizing that we as members of the mystical body of Christ are joined to them. And so those of us who can do something through our prayer and spiritual disciplines to help one another ought to do so by praying for them and, and offering up other kinds of spiritual sacrifices to assist them. And I guess the understanding, we might say, is in some mystical sense, our prayer connects us to them and the love that we communicate to them, the intention we communicate, is made efficacious by God. Sort of like, just as our prayers for one another in this world can help each other, so our prayers for people in the afterlife can be helpful to them. But if you're looking for biblical, uh, I guess, underpinnings of this, there's that passage from 2 Maccabees, which is a deuterocanonical work. It's, it's found in the longer Septuagint collection, the Greek collection of Old Testament scriptures, which is part of the Catholic Bible, uh, not part of the Bible used by most Protestant traditions. But there in 2 Maccabees, we hear of the leader, after a battle, taking up a collection uh, to provide a sin offering for those who had died, that they might be delivered from their sin. So there was an understanding about that, even in Judaism, shortly before the birth of Christ, that in some way our prayers for the dead could assist them in the afterlife. I'll stop there and um, wish you well and hope this was helpful. Bye now. All right. So thanks to Phil. Like I said, we'll link to his uh, uh, website that has uh, books. He's got these forums that people have these kinds of discussions on, and you ought to check them out. They're good. Thank you, Phil. Yeah, his forums go way back. They're a uh, they're a uh, they're really interesting place. Okay, I have to check that out now. Oh, there's Eastern mystical stuff on nice. there. I mean, yeah. Anyway. <laughs>
so let me uh, let me summarize a little bit because I think one of the one of the core parts of what's going on here is does the spiritual journey end when we die? Because until considering this question, I think I'd been under the assumption that yes, it does. Yeah, me too. You know that when we die, Jesus says, "Welcome, mm-hmm. here we are. You've made it, and now by my grace." you are complete and you yes. are whole. Yes. And that's still the belief that I hold, but I have to admit, thinking about this is making me question, making me revisit, and perhaps inviting me to deepen and nuance that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because it, from what Phil said, it sounds like the Catholic, uh, the Catholic idea is that when you die, you may still have some purging left to do. It's not so easy right. that Jesus just waves a magic wand and says you're, you're, you're whole because yep. you still got... Can I say crap to get rid of? Yes. That doesn't ruin our rating? Okay. (laughs) Because it is. It fits. Yeah. Is that kind of how you understood what he was saying? Yes. Yes. Well, and then it got me thinking because I think that was always the, that is one of the little things that I never questioned, especially in light of, you know, we we usually put it in the context of um, like physical ailments, right? Like, oh, they're free from the chair that held them and... And maybe and, there is some kind of... And when Jesus is resurrected, which yeah. maybe you can't... Okay, that gets to a complex place theologically, but sure, his wounds sure. are healed. His wounds are healed. Right, yeah. but he still has them. Right. But they're healed. He's, the scars remain. Yes. But, yeah. Yes. And so what Phil says makes sense to me, if for the point that if the goal is unification, you know, I have a best friend that she and I have been friends since we were 14 years old. We can finish each other's sentences. We know each other... But as we continue to try to grow closer, we still have to repeat cycles of getting to know one another. And so if we're in seeking union with God forever, yeah. wouldn't it require that we need to stay on a path of faith? And, of, and, maybe you know, not faith, but spiritual um, knowing. One place I disagree with at least some evangelicals and fundamental uh, types is that there's an assumption that the spiritual journey it, it only has two levels. That you're yeah. down here unsaved. Right. And then all of a sudden you're up here saved. And that's the entirety of the spiritual journey. And, and some Pentecostals have it at three. You know, you have, you have nothing. You have saved and you have spirit baptism. Yeah. Uh, whereas I view the spiritual journey as more of something that has surges along the way. It's a continually climbing thing that... That, that, that perhaps there is a, a moment of salvation, whatever that means, is for another podcast. But yeah. but you continue growing even after that. You continue you continue on that journey even even once you're there. Absolutely. So who am I to say that death is what I criticize in some fundamentalists? You know that there's yeah. uh, there's no more growing to happen after death. This is this is why I'm now questioning my own core belief, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm going to wrestle with that for a little while. Probably. Yeah, it got me thinking too because I know that it took me a long while to grow out of speaking of growing. The my fundamentalist teaching that you're either here or you're dead in Christ or you're dead and burning in hell. Right. Like those are the options. And just for the record, I don't say this from the pulpit usually because I don't want to wreck anybody's faith. But that is that is clearly not how it works in the Bible. No. Really study that is that is not good theology. No. Anyway, keep on. I think it's fair to say a lot of what I was given growing up was not good theology. But yeah, I go back to Tom and Jerry and the two escalators oh, up and down. And down, Please, yes. Can oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> um, but you know, I think just from growing study, 
conversations, ooh, illumination, but also having had the opportunity to be with so many people when they were themselves dying or while a loved one was dying, you start to embrace death even as more of a transition and less of an ending point, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. You've been with, you. do you feel that way? Yeah, I do. And I have to say, even though I say I'm questioning my own belief now and, and hopefully nuancing it, I would still say, if with less confidence than I did before, that I, I do still think that grace is something that is extended very, very much so when we die and when that transition happens. Absolutely. Uh, and so I, I, I would tend to think that that purgative journey, if there's a journey after death, surely it looks very different. Yes. I don't, want, I don't want to project too much of this life on the next. Absolutely. Maybe no. that's where I'm coming from. Okay, and that's fair. But I guess that's the mystery and hope part, right? The challenge for me isn't now. I always say, I don't know what's after, but I know there is something. Yeah. And I think I had worked out a little bit more in my head what I thought was after than I thought I had. Oh, and all this, of it. Right, and this was... I. I appreciate, though, I, I find it kind of inspiring and exciting to think that once we get through that passage, if death is a passage, that there's another journey, in a way, I guess. Or that we're journeying still, you know? You know what? I've said before that clouds and harp sounds really boring. Totally. But if there's no growth, if there's no learning to happen after we die, that sounds as boring as a cloud and a harp. Oh, man. By the way, I know a lot of harpists. Sorry. Probably sounds great to you. No. <laughs> Have a cloud and a harp. I'm just no. saying. I've known some harpists who yeah. probably think that is heaven. Probably. Okay, never mind. Not mine either, though. <laughs> I remember, I, and I very much recall being little and being struck with guilt and shame and fear. You know, the three main food groups of fundamentalism. Because <laughs> I... Well, it's true. <laughs> because I would hear about this great, great heaven that I was supposed to want more than being here on this earth in this life. Yeah. And I was just always thinking, like, I am so not looking forward to that. I just that. preached a sermon series against that. You did. This earth still matters to God. It the does. resurrection proves it. Mm -hmm. Well, so to bring that to bring it back around to the original question, uh, why do Catholics pray for the dead? The answer is that if they are still undergoing that process of purgation, uh, mm -hmm. and if they are still on a spiritual journey after death, then they would benefit from our prayers. So Absolutely. why wouldn't we? And Protestants um, tend to be, I mean, uh, Protestantism was born in the age of science and reason, and we get freaked mm -hmm. out by that kind of, quote, supernatural stuff that's yeah. actually more natural than what we know, but put that aside for a second. Yeah. <laughs> we tend to get creeped out by that, and so it's a practice that, uh, a practice that died, but I'm, I'm going to have to think about it, because here, here I am saying I, I really hope there is a journey Yes. Even if it is not a, a, a purgative one. Yes. Well, and even the notion that illumination continues. That dying is not in and of itself the final illumination. Poof, you're perfect. Yeah. Whatever perfect And poof, means. now you see everything perfectly. Yeah. You know, perhaps a, another way to look at it, boy, I shouldn't be talking off the cuff on this important theology, but why not? Hey. Uh, you know, Paul describes, uh, describes it as now you see in a mirror darkly mm -hmm. or dimly. You know, it's... I've also heard it described as sailing into a fog. 
you know oh, there's yeah you know there's something out there you know perhaps you hear perhaps you hear a noise of another ship or a foghorn or perhaps you even see a, a lighthouse mm -hmm. but you can't really see mm -hmm. <laughs> you know that's that's how this is us talking about what happens after death we know there's something there even if we can't see through the fog to know exactly what it is yeah uh, perhaps perhaps it would be good for us Protestants to pray more for those that are on the other side of that fog. The thing I dig about that too is it speaks to the power of our, um, this sounds way woo woo, so my apologies, but our, <laughs> our joint consciousness that it really does matter when we pray for one another. I mean, James was the brother of Jesus and he always was harping on that, you know, pray, and Paul always did too, but also just that bigger notion that we are connected and we do have, and death doesn't end that yeah. You know, uh, I remember the time the great theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, I know this sounds woo-woo. <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. Wait, no. <laughs> I had to tease a little bit. Yeah. Well, let me uh, let me say what I thought the question was the first time I read it. Because yeah. I think that's interesting, too. And I like that one because that one, actually, I did have a better experience with in my lifetime. Yeah, and, and the, what I thought the question was, was, was not why do Catholics pray for the dead, but why do Catholics pray to the dead, mm -hmm. uh, which is of course a very different question, though it, it, it captures some of the th same things. And I actually asked Phil that first and he told me his answer, so I'll, <laughs> he didn't record it for us, but I'll share. Uh, he said that, well, we talk to one another here, so why could we not talk across that divide too? Yep. Uh, we pray to Jesus. We are raised just as, well, okay, there's a whole thing with resurrection. Let's not go there. Yeah. We, pray, we pray to Jesus on the other mm -hmm. side of that journey. Why can we not pray to others? Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes people get uh, confused by what Catholics mean by saints. Uh, I used to think that uh, to a Catholic, a saint was only somebody who had been through the whole canonization process yeah. that takes Beatified decades, if not centuries. Right. Had to, um, had to, what do you have to do? Like, you have to produce a miracle, and I, there's, there's all kinds stuff of stuff. like that, yeah. yeah. And that is a, uh, and what Phil said is, that's a capital S saint versus lowercase s saint. Yes, we're all saints. Well, as I understand the Catholic understanding. Well, yes. Anyone who has passed and is in God's presence, I'm trying to avoid the word heaven because that has lots of baggage too. Uh -huh. uh, anybody who has passed and is in God's presence is a saint, lowercase s. Uh -huh. The capital S saints are just the ones where we have evidence to prove it. Right. <laughs> Um, but, but you know, anyone who's, who's died in God would be a saint, we mm -hmm. can only assume. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, a, a Catholic, I think, would say, if we know of a saint that uh, cared a great deal about a certain topic, mm -hmm. then why should we not ask them to pray on our behalf? Yes. And again, that's something that Protestants, we come out of the age of science, that, that kind yes. of thing uh, freaks us out a little bit, and so we don't. Uh, but that's that's the basic reasoning behind it. And yeah. I, I think we have a little, air, little 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 bit of room to grow there too. Oh, I think we do a huge one. Well, it's so funny because we don't even realize all the ways different um, ages of reason have sort of jacked up our faith understanding. Because we've also got that weird Gnostic notion that like there's this earth and then up here, way up in the sky, there's a a separated dimension somewhere where God is, right? And hell's yeah. below and yada yada yada. But, oh, Jeff just had an idea. He does a thing, you guys, and no one can see, and it throws me off. Okay. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but, like, one of my favorite scriptures that I learned differently when I had to go to school and learn Greek was 
this notion of the cloud of witnesses, right. you know, being taken into the yeah. cloud. And speaking of your fog, that Paul's notion wasn't that the dead in Christ are somehow way up above us like a cloud. I'm talking to the meteorologist here, so I'm not going to look at him so he doesn't laugh at me. But it's more like a fog. And I always think of when I'm in San Francisco and you can see the fog rolling in. Oh, I've always wanted to see Oh, that. it's amazing. Yeah. And it's just, it's like a cloud. It looks like a cloud that is slithering along the ground. Cool. And when you find yourself in it, you can see around you, but you can't see far away. But And you can know that you're in that fog, but suddenly you're just in the middle of it. And I love the image, go read Hebrews 11, that the great cloud of witnesses, it's not that they're so far removed. I mean, whenever I think of, I, whenever I talk to my family members that have gone on before, which is a huge part of Mexican Because you're of Mexican culture, uh, heritage. Yeah. yeah. And we, we do it, we do it way big on Dia de los Muertos, but it's not uncommon. We have, I have a family altar in my home and it's not uncommon that um, I knew my Aunt Frances was real zesty about this. My grandfather was always my North Star. It's not uncommon for me to say like, I need you to be with me on this thing or I need your help to discern X. And I, I think about that picture of the cloud of witnesses being this big, thick, beautiful fog of the dead in Christ that are around us and interacting around us and on their journey or whatever they're doing. I love that picture. You know, I think this is a weak point in my faith. I think that's something that um, where I could a, a place where I could grow. You know, what I my thought I had a minute ago that I looked all excited about. Oh yes, was that we you know one thing you do hear people say a lot is, "Oh, my grandma's looking down, uh, looking down on this and smiling." Mm. You know, that's a common phrase. Yeah. Well, if, if we believe Grandma's looking down and smiling on us, why don't we talk to her? No kidding. What, do you think there's uh, she's yeah. got earplugs on? <laughs> Sorry, I've got to go into irreverent here with this theoretical grandma. But you get what I'm saying. Yeah, this perhaps that's a baby that was thrown out with the bathwater of Protestantism. I think so. And what's fascinating to me is I think it's a little bit of a gut reaction to ghosts and superstitions. Yeah. And again, the supernatural is more natural than we think it is. Yeah, it's a good question, this conversation. We yeah, Mary Jo, thank you for that question. That yeah. was a fun one. We talked a little bit about where we were going to go, and we didn't We didn't go anywhere there. We went other places. Yeah, we did. <laughs> I feel like I've grown. Uh, so, um, let's see. We have some more questions that are in the hopper, and they're good ones, but we don't have enough. It would be good to have even more questions. So, I hope you all will send them in. Let us know. Uh, they can be big questions. They could be easy questions. I am still waiting for the yes or no question. One of these, one. one of these weeks, it's just going to be yes. The end. Well, now I okay. have to try to think if there any such question exists so I can throw it on the list. <laughs> in the meantime, uh, I hope that you all continue growing in your faith. I hope that you found this podcast an illuminative, an illuminative experience because that's uh, what we're hoping it will do. That's what we've designed it to be. And who knows, maybe, maybe you'll even have an experience in prayer to those that you love both here and elsewhere uh, and beyond that becomes a unitive experience for you too, uh, because God certainly does grant those from time to time. In the meantime, take care, stay well, and we'll see you next time for episode six.